The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for being here. Wow. Wisconsin rocks. This is so good. You know, Senator, to be here, thanks to YAF, thanks to the Logan family for supporting this tour, to be with everybody, and I don't know about you, in, at least in this room, I am breathing the sweet air of freedom. I, I don't feel muzzled. I feel like we can speak. Oh, that's great. Well, and and it is fantastic to kick off our national tour right here on the campus of University of Wisconsin at Madison. Well, uh, I don't... Did they brief you before you came out here? We're not on the campus. Well, there's a... Yeah, there's there's been a change. Maybe... All right. You better sit down. Why don't we do a podcast? Yeah, we should do a podcast. All right. Because, Senator, we... uh, Well, we're not on campus. I'll, I'll address all of you. We are not at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. But we are here in Wisconsin. We are here with a lot of great students, and we are going to flip a certain signal at all of the tyrants who want to shut us up. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. 
Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. Senator, it's great to be with you and several hundred of our dearest friends, probably more than several hundred of our friends, thank you so much to all of the students tonight who stood up to the petty leftist administrators at the campus of the University of Wisconsin-Madison who tried to shut all of us up who don't want any conservative ideas on campus. We're all here. Well, Michael. So, Michael, how could that be? We announce a national tour. We, we pick as the opening venue a campus right in the heart of the beast. And then the students and faculty and folks who came, who came out came out because they, they wanted to hear a discussion. They wanted to hear an honest discussion of what's happening. So what happened? Why aren't we on campus? This was an amazing circumstance because we've talked for a long time about how the left wants to muzzle conservatives on campus. And usually they make it difficult for YAF in particular to book classrooms or lecture halls. And they'll, they'll talk about hate speech. And you know, if you defend, for instance, the First Amendment, you're a hateful, terrible bigot. Or if you defend, I don't know, George Washington, you're a terrible, awful, terrible person. But what happened this time is they literally wanted to muzzle us. They wanted everybody in the lecture hall to put a mask on, including the speakers. And now, I don't know how that would work, because if, if we had done that, the, the podcast would sound something like, Look, there are some people who think that would be an improvement. I think there are, and they, they happen to work at UW-Madison. But it's even crazier, because there is an exemption to this mask rule in the UW-Madison code. And they have granted it to other speakers. <laughs> they just won't grant it to us. Well, I, I will note that, that one of the exemptions in the policy is for artistic performances. So we got a letter from the dean, I guess, a couple of days ago saying the only way you can do this event on campus is if everyone is masked, including the two of us, <laughs> and you can film the whole podcast while wearing a mask. But there's an exemption for artistic performance. And, and I got to say, Michael, I'm really offended that you were not willing to sing a cappella for the entire <laughs> podcast. You know, I, I, all those years of cigars have not been great on the old vote. Look, you went course. to Yale. I thought it was mandatory there that you, that, that you sing in like some, some all boys club. Or it, it's a very thespian sort of place. There's no question about that. You know, th this gets to something that we talked about. Gosh, going back over a year now, I think we're on the 590th day of 15 days to slow the spread. And from the very beginning, almost there. We're, we're, pretty, we're pretty close. You know, at the beginning, a lot of people said, put the mask on, it's just going to be a short little while. And so people were willing to take prudential measures. They were always, well, you know, protect the public health. No one, no one wanted to see people dying. But there was always this fear that when you give in, and you give in, and now it's the 16th day, and now it's the 50th day, and now it's the 100th day, and now everyone's got the vaccine if they want the vaccine, but you still have to wear the mask. It seems as though the mask is not intended to protect the public health anymore. It's just an excuse to take power. Well, and you look at what UW did here. I mean, I mean, the idea, there have been multiple speakers on campus they've had who haven't worn a mask, because if you're actually speaking to a crowd, it doesn't work to wear a mask, uh, particularly when you're televising it and sending it out worldwide. Uh, they know that, and I'll point out, you know, just this weekend, they had 75,000 football fans Mm. screaming, cheering, maybe imbibing a little bit. <laughs> and somehow that didn't pose any health threat. No. 
But yet the two of us mm -hmm. are a lethal yes. health threat. Yes, I, I have been called that on many an occasion. You know, there, there is another crazy aspect. We're, this is a public university. So this is a taxpayer-funded university. You would think, I don't know, I would think, maybe I'm just old-fashioned, that if anybody is going to be permitted to speak to help, you know, educate the students, it would be a United States senator. This seems like a real affront to the American system of government, to civics, to our political tradition here, but so what? They're, they're going to do it anyway. Well, the provost who sent us the letter uh, is a Democrat. He was served in Democrat administrations. He's given, he gave $1,000 to Barack Obama. He gave $1,000 to Tammy Baldwin. He's given more money to Act Blue. And he sent a very thorough academic letter that said, we will not grant you an exemption because <laughs> there was a period out there was no it was no I, blank it was, I, just, it was just because because uh, I say so and, and to really call the joke out so so the university requires when you do an event on campus that you have to do the RSVPs through the campus Eventbrite so when we said we're not recording a friggin podcast we're in masks <laughs> we rescheduled and and you know what the university said we won't give you your RSVP list yeah we're not going to tell you the students who want to see. So we had, to, I want to thank everyone here who had the ingenuity to find us when this was rescheduled in one day. <laughs> it, it just goes to show you. It just goes to show you what, what UW-Madison is interested in here, what the administrators are, is not protecting their campus, protecting their students. They just don't want people to hear what we have to say. They don't want people to hear legitimate criticisms of Joe Biden, of the ruling class in this country, of the liberal establishment. And I, I imagine they're trying to stifle speech in this desperate way because they feel really confident, right? Because they're just so popular. Is that it? Look. As you know, it's an admission of weakness. If you're strong, if you're confident in what you believe, if the facts are behind you, then you're not frightened, you're not threatened, you're not intimidated by those who disagree. You look on the national scene, you got people like Bernie Sanders, you got people like AOC who are socialists. You and I don't want to silence them. We don't want to censor them. Frankly, I want a lot more people to hear the inanities that come out of their mouths. Turn the volume up. Yeah, please, please. Like if, if you're the best cure, John Stuart Mill said the best cure for bad speech is more speech. And, and the admission of the university administrators, of the faculties, of, of these Marxists, and I love Marxists that have life tenure. They get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, forcibly paid from the taxpayers and never able to be fired but they're terrified that anyone might disagree with them. Yeah. And, and that ultimately, it's a disservice to, to the students. Look, college is all about encountering ideas you disagree with. When I was in college, when I was in law school, I took classes from Marxists. My family was imprisoned and tortured in Cuba. I hate communists, like deeply and to the pit of my soul. <laughs> You know what's amazing? What's amazing is that is a controversial statement these days. That didn't used to be a controversial statement. Now it is. But if you want to be... All right, so years ago, this is back, oh, 15 years ago, I was invited, oddly enough, to give the commencement speech at the University of California, Berkeley, 
School of Government. Did they not have Google at Berkeley? They didn't I, know to type in Ted Cruz? So, so, all right, this is long before I was in the Senate, long before anyone had any idea who I was. And, and apparently the way it came to pass is the School of Government there had for some years had leftist speakers, no surprise. And the head of the school said, you know, we ought to have a Republican, just, just out of diversity. And, and I think he basically said, I, I don't know any Republicans. <laughs> And so then he figured, well, okay, all right, if I want to find a Republican, what do I do? And he called a professor at the University of Texas. <laughs> he figured, all right, Texas, right. they got to know some Republicans there. <laughs> and, and I think what happened is the professor, I had spoken the year before at UT, yeah. at their school of government, and he said, look, you know, this guy didn't suck, so why don't you invite him? And so I came out, and it was interesting. It was the dawn of Facebook. It was right when it was, I think it was like, three years off of Mark Zuckerberg creating Facebook to try to find girls on campus. I mean, it, it, it was new, and there was a protest group, I still remember, had 93 people in it, that were uh, Berkeley students protesting that I was coming. Heidi said at the time, she said, oh God, you're not nearly important enough to protest. <laughs> But I went and gave the speech, and it was in this amphitheater, and the entire speech was on diversity, but it was on intellectual diversity. And what I said to the Berkeley students, which I would say uh, to, to Madison students, and, and I, think, I think we probably have a lot of conservatives and libertarians here, but I hope we have some liberal, liberals here. I hope we have a conversation. And, and what I would say to the student body writ large and to professors and to people is the passion that's out of Berkeley, that's out of Madison. The passion to change the world, to light the world, to make a difference. Don't let go of that. Keep that fire because it's powerful and it's easy to settle into just kind of middle-aged complacency. Don't let go of that passion. But if you ever want to actually succeed in persuading anyone, understand how someone of good conscience good morals, would look at the issue you care most passionately about and come to 180 degrees the opposite conclusion. Understand how your mother could come to the opposite right. conclusion. And right. that, we don't do nearly enough of that. We need to all try to understand each other and then see where we're right and see where we're wrong. Well, so in the spirit of uh, people moving into complacency and squishiness and middle age, and, and also to be honest about censorship and free speech, I, I want to make an admission to the listeners of this show about something that, that we did last week, okay? This is the first time this has ever happened on the show. Last Tuesday, we filmed an episode on this great news that the Republicans in the Senate, they were standing firm. They were standing firm on the debt ceiling. They were taking this principled stand. We were so happy about this. What happened 10 hours later? Yeah, so this is, uh, so we film it Tuesday night. And Tuesday night we're doing verdict, and I gotta confess, I was kind of victory lapping. <laughs> I was like, look, we're all used to Republicans caving and not standing up. And right now, I got to say, Republicans are standing rock rib. We're united. We are all standing together saying the Democrats are going to raise the debt ceiling on their own. We're not going to help. And so we did a whole chunk of the podcast victory lapping it Tuesday night. And then Wednesday, I went to lunch and Mitch McConnell stood up and said, OK, so we're going to surrender now. <laughs> 
Why? As, Senator, why? Right well, well it, so, so before I answer why, I will say it forced us to do something we have never done in the history of Verdict. So we've been yep. filming Verdict now year and a half, almost two years. Yep, coming up on two years. And we had this whole segment in Verdict that hadn't been released yet that as the news broke that the Republicans were caving would have made no sense at all. It would have been like, all right, do these guys not read the news? Do they not know what's happening? So we're like, all right, go to the editing room and just edit that portion out because yep. we can't put out a podcast that, that sounds like we live in a cave and are like eating mushrooms the whole time. Republicans had a spine 10 hours prior. They lost it. They lost it. So, so Senator, it seems that right now on the economy, Biden's numbers are terrible. He's yep. screwing everything up. Inflation is through the roof. People are quitting their jobs. There's a labor shortage. It's really, really bad. They want to spend a gazillion dollars on a bunch of nonsense. And Republicans had this principled stand, and now they don't. So we were holding the line, and, and the line for two months that, that Republicans had held is that we're not going to participate in raising the debt ceiling, that the trillions in debt that are being added to, added to the national debt are coming from the Democrats. They're passing it on their own. They're using reconciliation. They don't want Republican votes. They're not interested in compromise. They're ramming it through. And if they're going to bankrupt the country, they need to own it and vote for the debt that they're saddling on future generations. And, and we were united, every one of us. Mitch McConnell was saying that, Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, the entire conference, all 50 of us were united. What happened, and, and listen, I, I, Mitch got concerned that the Democrats were going to nuke the filibuster. He got scared that Biden and Schumer were going to get the votes and actually end the filibuster. And I look, if they end the filibuster, the damage that will be done to this country is cataclysmic. They'll pass S-1, which is the federal takeover of elections. They'll pack the Supreme Court. They'll make the District of Columbia a state. I mean, it will be structural and permanent. So I agree that, that if they end the filibuster, the damage is massive. I think, though, that, that, that our leadership made a mistake in, in believing they were going to get the 50 votes to do that. And so we gave in. Um, and we had some pretty vigorous discussions over the next two days among the conference, including a about two-hour meeting uh, of all the Republicans where, where basically I was objecting and standing up and most of my colleagues were saying, all right, Ted, why the hell are you doing this? Yeah. And, and, and I stood there pretty much on the hot seat and said, well, let me explain. And I said, look, my view of this was the view of all 50 of us two days ago. <laughs> and... I think we should have held the line. Unfortunately, we didn't. What happened instead is that we kicked the can down the road to December, and so we're going to have this debt ceiling fight again in December. But I will say, it, you know, periodically there are these moments, uh, Mike Lee calls it putting, it putting in the hot box, where they get mad at conservatives and they sit in a room and basically yell at you for a couple hours. Now, who is they? You mean the Democrats or the Republicans? Oh, no, no, I mean Republicans. <laughs> of course. Um, <laughs> So first book I wrote was a book called A Time for Truth. And, and the opening chapter of it uh, is called Mendacity. And it, it talks about exactly this issue in 2014, the fight over the debt ceiling and, and, and the pandemonium and, and bloody battles that occurred behind closed doors. I will say the battles this time were less bloody, hmm. um, but it's still unfortunate we couldn't hold the line. Because the argument from the Democrats here is, look, 
a nation has to deal with its debt. It's irresponsible for the U.S. to default on its debt. Republicans are holding this issue hostage. Now, I think we did a good job of explaining on the podcast yeah. why uh, that isn't the case, and Democrats can do it just with their own yeah. 50 votes plus a tiebreaker. But they say, look, this is a separate issue. It has nothing to do with the budget. It has nothing to do with the other aspects of the economy. But it does represent something. I, I think it was Patrick Deneen, who is a conservative writer, uh, who, who came out and he said, there's something really wrong about a society that leaves as an inheritance to its children a lot of debt, and it just keeps yeah. adding on to that debt. And there are national security implications here, and it, there, it could stifle economic growth. And so are, are we just never going to deal with this issue? We're just going to keep going along and giving in to the Democrats? So it's interesting. What the Democrats are arguing, they want to eliminate the debt ceiling altogether. So they want no limit on how much they can borrow. Or they're saying, let's raise it to $50 trillion. Let's raise it to a number that at least right now seems crazy high, but given the way we, we've gone up, even that may not be crazy high uh, in, in time. You know, the debt ceiling historically has worked to, to at least make adding more debt more painful. Yeah. So you, and, you have to think about it. And it's been the most effective lever for meaningful spending reform. So my view has never been that we should never raise the debt ceiling. Right. And, and, and the reason is simple, about 40%, and actually these numbers are old, but historically about 40% of what we spend is borrowed. Unless you're prepared to instantaneously... You know what? You know, you know, it's interesting. That classically encapsulates the left. So it's a young lady. She, she came in and she screamed, let's go, Brandon. She, uh, was that it? That's, you're, you're right. I, I couldn't quite make it out, but you're right. You're right. And, and what I like even better <laughs> is that she said, I don't know, apparently I'm, I'm the ignorant ass. Um, I, <laughs> I've been saying you, it you for years. Her. I, I don't know why you're not as ignorant as I am, but work on it. But then she promptly, with this frisson of courage, oh, I yelled at him, and then runs out the door. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we talked about the left is terrified. Look, we're going to have open Q&A. You know, if she wanted to, if she actually had a second sentence beyond, let's go, Brandon, yep. Do you then know we could have had a conversation, but that would have required actual reason and deductive thought, and the left doesn't want to do that. Do you know what I think happened? Obviously, I can't ask her this because she ran out of the room screaming, but I, what I think happened is she was waiting for us to say something really offensive, you know, some, something that uh, the left says that we say, you know, I don't know, something vicious, vile. Yeah, don't, don't give an example. Yeah, I don't, I'm not going to give an example. But, but mm, because then kittens are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> and there, there's the Media Matters clip, and there it is right there. We've got it. <laughs> So she was waiting for us to say something really outrageous because I suspect that woman has never listened to a conservative speak for more than a 30-second soundbite taken out of context. And so she was waiting, and we didn't say anything, and we're actually just talking about cutting government spending and these sort of arcane Senate procedures of how to raise the debt ceiling. And so she got impatient, and she probably didn't, you know, the, the synapses were kind of uh, frustrating and tiring. And so she said, all right, it's late, I, you know, I got to go... I got to go home and watch Netflix or something. And so she just screamed this vicious, uh, vulgar language at us. And then uh, before we could respond, she's gone. And I can't say I miss her, but I do wish that we could have continued to educate her.
I, I don't know. For a moment there, it kind of felt like the House of Representatives. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, maybe she'll watch the stream online. So I guess I, we I'm should. I'm confident of that. I, I hope right so. Right now, she is on her phone, <laughs> listening with bated breath. Be because. This issue, I think, really does matter. And while, while it might seem abstract to be talking about the debt and how that relates to the economy at large and the way our society is going to work, this is having real effects. I mean, when, when we talk about the economy more broadly, right now we are looking at uh, inflation at a 13-year record high. This, is, this means that the dollars you are spending are worth less. They're, they're not going as far. We're, we're seeing now millions and millions of people in the month of August, 4.3 million people just quitting their jobs. That seems kind of weird. And actually, people who wanted to be here tonight, I've gotten messages about this for people coming to the events. Some people were not able to make it because flights are getting canceled. Why are flights getting canceled? <laughs> Southwest Airlines is blaming the weather. It looks pretty sunny to me. It's because of these issues of mandates coming from the federal government wreaking havoc on the economy. So, so in, a, in very uh, dollars and cents terms, what's the future looking like for us? Well, I got to say what you just say that, said there, there is a massive concerted effort by the White House and by the corporate media to silence what you just said there, which is it is the orthodox line that nobody is losing their job because of vaccine mandates. Mm -hmm. Look, I got to tell you, a uh, headline that I read at a hearing last week, the largest uh, uh, health provider in New York fired 1,400 people. They're firing doctors and nurses. Mind you, in the middle of a pandemic, we were saying for a year and a half, doctors and nurses are heroes. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that was in, then. A <laughs> little bit incoherent, I'll tell you. Um, I am hearing from all over the country, from soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines. I was in the Detroit airport uh, just a couple of weeks ago, was stopped by, by a gentleman there, said he was a Navy SEAL, had been in the SEALs 10 years. And he said, I'm resigning from the SEALs. Yep. And he said, I'm not getting the vaccine. And he said, a bunch of guys who served with me who've been in 15, 16, 17 years, which for those in the military, retirement's at 20. He said, they're getting ready to quit mm -hmm. after 15, 16, 17 years. Um, I am hearing over and over again. So a week ago, I, I did a Zoom call with the leaders of, of many of the big pilots unions of the, the airlines across the country. Just about every pilot's union said, we are having pilots who are going to be quitting because they're not going to get a vaccine. Uh, Chicago, Chicago Police Union is saying this Friday, so a week from now, the Chicago PD is going to be at 50% police capacity because the police officers are resisting this vaccine. And the White House said none of this is happening. They insist. Nope, this is not happening. And so you look at what happened with Southwest. And, and in the past week, I've spoken with the CEO of Southwest, Gary Kelly, who I know very well. He's yeah. a Texan. He's a good friend. Uh, I've spoken with the head of the, the Southwest Pilots Union. Um, there's lots of disputes about what happened. Southwest canceled 1,000 flights one day, canceled several hundred fi flights on the days before and afterwards. I can tell you one thing that a very senior person in the aviation sector told me. They said on Friday, October 8th, at Jacksonville, there was a sick-in among air traffic controllers. And at the Jacksonville Air Traffic Control Facility, 33 air traffic controllers were scheduled to come in. That day, three came in. 30 stayed home. Mm 
Now, Jacksonville controls a lot of the air traffic going up and down the eastern seaboard, and Southwest has an enormous percentage of its flights going through Florida. And Southwest is unique among the airlines. So the other air, air, airlines use the hub-and-spoke system. So I live in Houston. Houston's a, a hub for United, so we get lots of United flights that end up in Houston or Chicago or other hubs. Southwest doesn't have hubs, so its planes are all over. And what Southwest has said is that when air traffic shut down, the consequence of that is it stranded a bunch of its planes and right. it stranded a bunch of its pilots and it stranded a bunch of its crews. Now, what's interesting is the Biden White House refuses to answer the question. It's a very simple, factual question. Is it true or is it false that on Friday, October 8th, there was a sick in at the, Jan at the Jacksonville Air Traffic Control Facility where the vast majority of the controllers stayed home because of the va vaccine mandate? And the reason they don't want to answer it based on what sources are telling me in aviation is because that is absolutely true. Right. And, and on these mandates, which are really on a lot of people's minds, not just for the economy, but because they want to have some control over their own medical decisions. There is the issue of the federal government saying federal employees need to get uh, the vaccine. So that's a that is a direct yeah. mandate. Yeah. And then there is the bizarre Byzantine sort of mandate where Biden instructs the Occupational Safety and Health Administration to instruct companies with more than 100 employees to instruct their employees to get the vaccine or there will be fines, but we don't even really know how that will be implemented. So it's, it's more a threat than an actual order. And so some companies are going along with this. Some companies, like my company, The Daily Wire, is not going along with this. And so in, in a way there, you... You can blame Biden because Biden was the one who started it all. But some companies could just stand up and say, no, we're not going to do this. You're right. And, and look, there's a spectrum of, of, of orders coming from the White House. Um, now, listen, my view on vaccines real quick as, a, as an aside, I'm pro-vaccine. I've been vaccinated. My family's been vaccinated. I think it is an amazing technological accomplishment that Operation Warp Speed produced multiple vaccines in record time, cutting through massive paperwork. So I think that's fantastic. And and. I was glad to take the vaccine because I wanted to get back out and around and, and, and with people, and I was tired of the damn lockdowns that these numbskull politicians were putting in place. But, but I also believe in individual liberty, individual responsibility. Look, everyone here are adults. You have the right to make your own choice about what health care you're going to get. You have the right to make your own choice talking to your doctor. If you want to get the vaccine, God bless you. Make that decision. If you don't, that's your right, too. You know, though, to play devil's advocate, Senator, that lady who ran out of here screaming, I'm not sure that she can make her own decisions. I don't know. There are a lot of people who you need some maturity to be able to. I don't know. I, don't know. I will say the problem with liberals is their masks aren't tight enough. <laughs> That's right. We need to add a few more. You know, we do have a lot of mature, serious people in this audience. We want to hear from them. We want to answer their questions. So would you mind, can we take some questions from the audience? Would that be all right? Can we bring our friend Liz Wheeler back out? All right. We've got... Uh, a lot of people here lining up to, to ask these questions. We, I hope, have some answers for them. This is uh, our absolute favorite part of the show. Uh, be sure, if you have not already, subs go subscribe to The Verdict Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your uh, podcasts. So, so, Michael, while we're waiting for everything to get set up, 
I'm going to ask, is it going to be like mailbag on the podcast typically, where you get a question from someone, Giuseppe, who asks, how come Michael is so handsome and so wise? Well, you know, uh, look, I think some of those people ask very good questions. So I, I hope that we get them here tonight. I, uh, if you see me putting on a fake mustache and running behind, maybe that, that would explain how it happens. We have our friend Liz Wheeler here. Let's bring her out and let's take some questions. Well, that was a great show. This is a great show. I was entertained. Thank you. Um, you laughed. You cried. We're going to get, as a lot of people did. So we're, we're about to get these questions. But uh, first, Liz, what are you holding in your hand? I, I, I do have a question. I'd like to actually be the one to start off the questions, if that's all right. And okay. my question to you is, um, if you see right here, we have this hat, and it is adorned with a lovely cactus. I don't get the joke. Could you please explain that to us? Liz, do you, you don't know about the, the third co-host of this podcast, our trusty sidekick, the cactus? Do you not? It's the real could... truth cactus. And I got to say, I was complaining to Michael today as we've got now these fancy metal cacti. And, and, and I said, you know what? I, I, I really am offended to be upstaged by a cactus. I know. I know. It's, uh, that, that, it was unfortunate. It, it, you know, it, very humbling, I think. Senator, you came out really strong. Your first podcast, it hits number one within a couple of weeks. And uh, so we just want to keep you humble, and that's why it seems that all of this merchandise has the cactus on it. I mean, I don't want to hurt y'all's feelings, but it's not your face on this hat. <laughs> no, it's not. Well, it's that's not. why people wear it. That's right. <laughs> so I'm very excited to announce tonight um, that you can acquire one of these hats, and not just one. If you go to verdictwithtedcruz.com slash shop and you use that promo code that I talked to you about before, live, you can get 10% off um, all kinds of crazy cactus gear, all kinds of crazy. In fact, um, I don't really want to hold this for the rest of the show. Does anybody, does anybody want this? Can we, can we hear? Anybody want this cactus hat? Okay, I'm not throwing it, so. Okay, okay. If you can hand it up to him. You know what they say, enthusiasm wins every time. Enthusiasm wins every time. All right, are we ready for some live Q&A? <laughs> All right, the first thing you're gonna do is introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Will Terry. I'm from Kakana, Wisconsin. Moved down to Madison to work at the state legislature. Um, Highly revere you ever since your 2016 campaign. While I certainly can't agree with every single thing that you advocate for, but I appreciate the opportunity to have this uh, question. Uh, so, native-born American fertility rates have been below rep replacement for nearly half a century, uh, so much so that the number of babies born to black women have been trending down for two decades, and the American white population has declined three million uh, people since this last consensus. Uh, what plan, if any, does uh, a Republican in either chamber have to create a sustainable fertility rate in America? Wow. Yeah.
So that's a very good question, and, and it's a detailed and complex question. Um, and, and I'd say several things. First of all, with what the gentleman called out, we've had over 60 million children whose lives have been taken in abortion, and this would be a, a much richer, a much more varied, a much more diverse country uh, had, had those children had the chance to live and had we, we reaped the benefits of their lives. Um, I'd also say more broadly, some of it is the consequence of prosperity that, that, that you see with prosperity. You look at an agrarian society where, where if you were on the farm, you needed kids because you needed farmhands. You needed people to work, work on the farm and, and kids were an engine of production. And as we've gotten more prosperous, people are, are not looking, looking for their kids necessarily to, to uh, drive the plow. Um, there is also a difference, I think, between left and right. Uh, in terms of our children, are additional kids a good or bad thing? You know, you look at the Malthusian yeah. hypothesis that, that there are too many people on planet Earth, that, that, that every child being born is a bad thing. Um, I think that is terrible and false, and I think every child is, is magnificent, is an opportunity, is a benefit, is productive, and, and there is a difference between left and right. So. Is it government's job to say, you silly people aren't having enough babies? No, I don't think it's government's job to say that. It's up to you uh, to make that decision in your life. Um, but I do think we ought to have, number one, policies from the government that are conducive to families. So for example, the marriage penalty is a terrible thing in the tax law. It shouldn't be the case that, that, that if a man and woman get married, their tax rate goes up and, and the government is disincentivizing their forming a family. Um, I think we ought to have an environment where, where, where kids are, are celebrated and welcomed, and also part of that is where kids can have a chance to get an education through, like, through school choice, where, where even regardless of their economic circumstances, they can have an opportunity to prosper. But you are right that, that, that without kids, any society, uh, has no future. And, and you know, you're, you're so right, Senator, to, to mention this Malthusian delusion on the left, this idea that people are a scourge and we've got, we're, we're all going to die from overpopulation. There was a book came out in 1970 by Paul Ehrlich, a still admired in some corners and still honored scientist that was just completely bogus and it was called the population bomb. It said that within a decade or two, there were going to be famines. It was inevitable. You would need more abortion, more contraception. And if people wouldn't do it voluntarily, you had to force it. And actually a lot of this work was used in, in countries that did this, India and notably in China. And and it was completely false. Since that time, the world population has doubled. We are fatter than ever. Malnutrition is at an all-time low. And so I, I, I think your answer is totally right, Senator. Uh, the gentleman's answer is totally right on abortion. And it's a very serious issue. E by the way, even beyond the issue of birth rates, you mentioned the, bl the black birth rate. Well, a statistic came out a few years ago in New York. More black babies were aborted than were born. I mean, that's a terrifying statistic. Or, uh, and you mentioned the, the other birth rates as well. But it's beyond that. Think about how the average uh, life expectancy has actually declined in recent years, also because of deaths of despair. I mean, that, that is a big national problem. Uh, I think, as, as everyone has said, it's, it's really important to focus on that because if, if we want to have a strong, prosperous future, we need to have a country. We need to have people, and we need to have people who are excited about growing that country. Well, and let me make two additional points. This is a good question, and we're, we're 
we should get our answer shorter than this, but uh, <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll do a speed round for the, the, the you know, you, 20, 30 you, people. You, you, know, you shouldn't come to a gathering of a radio host and a lawyer and politician <laughs> and expect short answers. Um, but, but two more observations. You were talking about, about um, African-American fertility rates. You know, some of the most horrifying things to read are, are the writings of Margaret Sanger, who was the founder of Planned Parenthood and, and was a uh, unrepentant eugenicist and, and wrote horrible things advocating for widespread abortion precisely because she wanted to see more African-American children aborted. And, and it's, it's, it is a horrifying history behind the aggressive push for locating abortion clinics in, in communities where, I'm not going to use the term she used to describe those children, but, but they were horrific and evil, um, those terms that she used. And what I'd say also than that, you, you know, Michael, you used the word inevitable. And, and it reminded me of the, one of the podcasts that caused the biggest stir is, is you and I like to mess around in pop culture. And, and we pointed out how when, when Hollywood does environmentalists, whether in, in The Watchmen uh, or in Avengers Endgame, that, that, that environmentalists are the, the, these Malthusian psychopaths. <laughs> and you take Thanos. So, 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 and by the way, people flipped out. Is it Thanos, Thanos? I don't know, whatever. It's the, the big guy uh, with, with the giant sword. But, but you look at his whole hypothesis, which was the Malthusian hypothesis. There are too many people. They're consuming our resources. Therefore, I'm going to snap and murder half of the living beings on planet Earth. That is the radical left view of people, yeah. and, and online, the, the sort of Hollywood world freaked out that we pointed out how absurd yeah. this, this anti-human life view of the radical left was. Yeah, yeah, really, really excellent point. Yeah, thank you for thank bringing you it up. Thank you so much. And I don't know about you guys, but the way that I heard that answer was Michael, as the good Catholic man that he is, should continue to be fruitful and multiply. So that's how I, that's how I heard it. Um, Michael, let's try to keep these answers as succinct as possible so that we can get as many questions in as we possibly can. Do you well, want to introduce yourself? This will be a speed round. Um, hello, I'm Samantha Givich. I'm a student at UW-Madison. I'm a freshman studying political science and minoring in public policy. Um, my question here today is, I'm going to keep it to the content that you had in the podcast, is much of your message today was about the other side. I am personally democratic-leaning, and um, how they're doing everything wrong, how they're yelling at you, how that girl ran out, obviously speaking vulgar language, which I don't agree with. I think it's much more productive to speak this way. But at the same time, and not to insult you, um, you came out saying, like, these idio um, idiots are making us wear these masks, like, all these things, and shouting out insults and um, compromising the integrity of the university. And I just want, I think my question is more broad about your party in general, because that's why we're here, um, is do you, are you willing, if you, is your message so important, are you willing to compromise, like wear these face diapers in order to put this message out that you think is so important so more people are access, so it's more accessible to more people? Or are you, is your message solely to oppose the other side and keep it to the people that agree with you? That's a good so, question. So, Samantha, that's a very good question. And let me start by just thanking you for being here. 
thank you for having an open mind and coming, even though you, you, you said your, your political leanings are different than ours. I appreciate it. I think we need to be having more of a conversation. We ought to be, one of the problems today is the two sides live in like parallel worlds. And, and the right wing listens to right wing media. The left wing listens to left wing media. We don't talk to each other. We don't have shared facts. And we believe these caricatures of each other that, that are horrible, and they're horrible on both sides. Um, the way I try to handle that is, you know, I try not to get nasty and personal and go after the character of people who disagree with me. Now, I'll disagree with them on substance. And, and listen, I'll try to have some fun with it. And, 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 and to, to make a joke is, I think, different than going straight, straight to and saying they're horrible, evil people. I try on criticism to keep it lighthearted. On the question of compromise, yes, look, I, I think we absolutely should look for middle grounds. You, you ask about wearing masks. To be honest, I'm embarrassed to say I've got two masks in my pocket. I've got a Texas flag mask, which is awesome, and, uh, you know, I might just wear that for the fun of it. And, and, <laughs> and, and then I have a Houston Rockets mask, which shows that I really believe in lost causes, but I'm a <laughs> diehard, diehard Rockets fan. Um, you know, I flew up, flew up from Houston today. I wore a mask. You know, my view on, let's take COVID as an example. Um, I think there were extremes on COVID on both sides that didn't make any sense. So there were people who would never wear a mask, never wear a, a vaccine. And personally, I don't agree with that. I particularly at the height of the pandemic, you know, it made some sense to wear a mask. I wasn't sure how effective it was or not, but a year ago, I was willing to wear a mask and it made some sense. Now, I've been vaccinated, and it seems to me a little bit bizarre after you've been vaccinated saying everyone has to wear a mask and pretend the vaccine doesn't work. That, that, that logic and science doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, I think we should be willing to find reasonable common grounds. I think in COVID, for example, the politicians who shut down millions of small businesses, shut down restaurants, shut down bars, shut down gyms, shut down stores, and destroyed them. And, and, you know, people, if you have, you know, in Texas, you'll have a family that's, say, a second or third generation restaurant owner who their entire family's life work was destroyed. Um, you have politicians who shut down schools for a year. That hurt a lot of kids. I, I don't think that made sense, in my view, we should do reasonable common sense steps to limit the spread of the disease. COVID is a serious disease, particularly if you're elderly, particularly if you have serious health issues, it, it can be fatal. And so I think we should treat it seriously, but I absolutely agree we ought to find reasonable common ground. I think most people want to keep their families safe from disease, but they also want to be able to go to work and provide for their kids, and they'd like their kids to go, go to school. And I think most Americans are interested in that common ground. The political world is so polarized and the media world is so polarized, we don't have those conversations very often. That was a good answer. I have nothing more to add to that. No live owning or anything like that. It was really, yeah, really, really good question. And thank you for coming. I really, I really appreciate it. Hi guys, how you doing? My name's uh, Theo, I'm from Madison, Wisconsin. Um, 
I work in the Madison State Capitol or Wisconsin State Capitol. Uh, ironically, the first question asker is actually my boss. I'm his intern. So, so my don't question criticize is, his question. <laughs> actually, ironically, it kind of is building off of his question on uh, birth rates and whatnot. So as we all know... That's some know, good brown nosing. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got a bright future. I promise. It's not, it's not planned. It's not planned. I didn't even know there was going to be questions. So... Um, as we all know, the uh, immigration policies of the Biden administration have um, changed drastically from the administration previously. And with the uh, Haitian migrant caravan that transpired, I don't know, a week or two weeks ago, I'm not sure, um, popular conservative pundits like Charlie Kirk and Tucker Carlson have been theorizing something that people like Patrick Buchanan or Jared Taylor, who runs American Renaissance, have said in the past, which is replacement theory or demographic replacement. So I kind of wanted to know what your guys' thoughts were on the validity of that and how that is becoming mainstream and whether you think that it's the mass immigration of the Democratic Party is solely for electoral reasons or if it is to... Um, change the demographics of America and to displace the white majority of America? Well, I, I think if you're asking the question, or do Democrats play racial identity politics and say that, you know, straight white guys are the worst people in the history of the world, you know, I, I don't think they would even disagree with that. They put, they put that sort of thing in the New York Times. Uh, but but it, uh, I think the question is probably a little broader than that, right? I mean, they, it would seem to me, and Senator, you, you work with these uh, elected Democrats more, more closely. You see them more up close. But uh, it seems to me quite clear that what they want to do is win elections. And so whatever the uh, ethnic or racial or sexual or geographic or what, whatever they're going to do, and, and by the way, that's just focusing on one aspect of the immigration issue, but there are obviously many other strategies that they're pursuing as well. But whatever it's going to take them to win those elections, that's what they're out there to do. And so I, I, don't, I don't think that is a conspiracy theory that Democrats are willing to fight dirty and, and to win elections, is it? So look, I am the, the son of a Cuban immigrant, and millions of Democrats wanted to replace me with a rich white guy named Beto O'Rourke. <laughs> um, Wait, so, hold on, he's not Spanish? Are you sure? Well, I thought he's got a name like Beto. Uh, you know, it was amusing when he launched his campaign, his name is Robert Francis, and, and, and the, the AP reported when he launched his campaign that he gave his announcement speech in his native tongue. And I couldn't help but resist saying, really, I've never heard a speech in Gaelic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, running to be the next senator from Texas. <laughs> I did, I did, oh. <laughs> you know, I have to say, since the Astros are uh, uh, about to play the Red Sox, uh, you, you, know, you, you know, that uh, I'm looking forward to, to uh, our going back to the World Series. Um, listen, on your question, I don't buy the racially charged nonsense that is in these discussions. Um, I believe in immigration. Um, I have said many times my view on immigration can be summed up in four words. Legal, good, illegal, bad. You know, I represent the state of Texas. We have 29 million people. Uh, we're seeing firsthand the horrors of the Biden border crisis. I've been down to the border over and over and over again. 
When you've got 1.3 million people crossing the border illegally, I've been to the Biden cages that are filled with thousands of children. The last time I was in the Rio Grande Valley, the rate of COVID positivity in the Biden cages was over 24%. Um, I've seen when I brought 19 senators down to the Rio Grande Valley and we went out on the river, we saw an illegal immigrant floating dead in the river. I've seen the dead bodies of the pregnant women that the, that the coyotes abandoned in the desert heat. Um, I've seen the little girls and the little boys who are sex sexually assaulted and physically assaulted by the vicious criminals who are trafficking them in. And, and so I, there are lots of lies in politics, but I think one of the biggest lies is, is the lie you hear from the media that, that, that the Democrats' open border policy is somehow compassionate. There is nothing compassionate about a policy that has hundreds of thousands of children in the custody of vicious human traffickers that are assaulting and, and victimizing those kids. And so we ought to have a system that, that welcomes, that celebrates legal immigrants. There's a right way to come. You wait in line, you follow the rules, you come to America, but you don't have chaos at the border, which is what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have given us. Hello, my name is Thomas. Thank you, uh, Mr. Knowles and Senator Cruz for coming. One of my brothers is modeling his beard after you, so. <laughs> yeah, um, my question is, is a bit tangential. Uh, I'm a really big fan of comedy, and there's been a cultural trend toward, you know, the buzzword cancel culture. And I'm wondering, what exactly is your interpretation of the line for cancel culture versus just holding somebody accountable? Say, the difference between... Uh, Colin Kaepernick uh, no longer playing NFL because America is so oppressive, he makes millions. And um, uh, Sage, uh, the guy who, James Damore, who was fired from Google because he sent out a memo saying men and women are biologically different. Uh, where is the line and when does it become canceling? When is it just holding someone accountable? When is it being sensitive? When is it just having preferences? Look, that's a great question. And, and it's, it's a subtle and nuanced question. Um, you know, my view as a general matter, we should not have people being fired uh, for, for expressing their political views. Now, now there are exceptions to that, and, and, and one of the exceptions is we have a right uh, as consumers. So you mentioned Colin Kaepernick. I don't like what Kaepernick said. Now, I don't think he should be censored. I, I, don't, think, uh, I, I don't think he should be silenced, but I'm not interested in, in supporting him uh, with his message of di that, that, to me, is disrespecting the American flag uh, and is disrespecting uh, the men and women who fought to defend the flag in our nation. Um, I don't think it's right that Kaepernick is not a quarterback today because of his stance. To be honest, his stance was embraced in the NFL because they're such leftists, they loved it, and the guy is making tens of millions of dollars from Nike right now, He's not a quarterback because he wasn't that good a quarterback, and, and he had a tryout that was lousy. Um, I will say, by the way, it is clearly political discrimination that I'm not an NFL quarterback. 
They don't like my views, and it's the only reason mm-hmm. I'm not a starting quarterback. It's cancel culture, if you ask me. You know, uh, coincidentally, I, I did just write a book on this very subject called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds. So I appreciate Oh, thank you. That's very kind. Thank you. Since, you know, we're selling the cactus merch, we're, so I might as well mention this book. And uh, I think your question is really important, and Senator, you make a good point here, which is it's a subtle and nuanced question. You know, I, I don't think that we as conservatives are saying we have no standards at all whatsoever. William F. Buckley Jr., when he launched the modern conservative movement, he did so with a book called God and Man at Yale, The Superstitions of Academic Freedom, in which he mocked this extreme idea of academic freedom that the left pretends to embrace, but they don't even really embrace. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anyone believes that if you go to your water cooler and you, you make a Zig Heil and you start reciting Mein Kampf, yeah that when you lose your job, that is cancel culture and we're all supposed to cry about that. Uh, no, obviously societies have limits. There is going to be decorum. You know, uh, The left tries to shut us up on certain things and, and says you can't say certain things. Chivalry also suggests maybe you shouldn't say certain things. And so the questions involved are, one, what should the government be involved in? That's a procedural question. And then two, a substantive question. What, what is the good? What, are, what do we want to have in our society? What do we want to look up to? What, what do we want to pursue? And uh, what is really going to make us free people? You know, that, that distinction that our founding fathers found so important between liberty, true liberty, and licentiousness, you know, just pursuing your basest passions. And so I, I, I agree with what you brought up and obviously what you said, Senator, that we need to take this question in a much more serious way, and uh, if that means we can't dunk on the libs quite as much, so be it. But, but we, we want to be able to move forward into a society that, that has a culture that we can all really be proud of and live in. Well, and, and let me give an example of, of the line drawing, because I don't think it's just it's binary. Um, state of Tennessee has actually a state law that, that, as I understand it, requires the governor every year to proclaim a Nathan Bedford Forest Day celebrating Nathan Bedford Forrest, and the governor a couple of years ago did that. I saw that and publicly said, this is a mistake and you shouldn't do it. Now, for those of you who don't know who Nathan Bedford Forrest was, he was a Civil War general, but he was also a slave trader, and he was the founder of the Ku Klux Klan. And I said, this is absurd that we are celebrating this man. The Ku Klux Klan is a force for evil, and we should not be celebrating him. Uh, and, and, you know, some folks came back and said, well, Cruz, you're being unrealistic because state law requires a proclamation about him. I said, all right, if I were governor of Tennessee, you want to see a proclamation about him? I'll make a proclamation you'll never forget about someone who built his entire fortune selling other human beings. Now, there's a difference, I think, between not honoring the founder of the Ku Klux Klan and tearing down a statue of Thomas Jefferson. And, and part of it requires the exercise of judgment. It's not a clean, narrow line that we should, we should never express a view or we should, we should always silence views. It is somewhere in between, but, but the left, the thing to understand about cancel culture is the left is trying to use power to dominate the terrain of discussion. So I remember uh, last summer, two summers ago, I was in California. Heidi's family's from California. We were visiting with a friend of the family who's a kindergarten teacher. And she said, look, I'm scared to speak. There's a McCarthyist wind in the air 
that if I say the wrong thing at school, I'm fired and my job is lost. And there are a lot of people that feel frightened to speak because the left is so unrelenting. And so I think we ought to have a lot of tolerance. We can draw lines at the extreme, but we ought to have a lot of tolerance for, for a reasoned discourse and debate. And that includes a reasoned discourse about our history, which, which is neither uniformly good nor uniformly bad. And we ought to be able to discuss that intelligently. This will, be, this will be the last question, but if you want to continue asking the senator more questions, you can go to verdictwithtedcruz.com slash plus. You will get exclusive access to the senator, including the opportunity to ask him questions. Um, if you want to introduce yourself and ask your question. Yeah, my name is Lane Witt, and I founded an organization on campus called Unmask UW, and our goal is to get... Where do I sign up? How do, I, how do I become a member of that club? UnmaskUW.org. So um, basically, we just want to get rid of masks, obviously, but the university administration is not going to help us no matter how many protests we hold. So my question basically is, how do we get weaker Republicans in the state legislature to um, stand up, take a principled stand, and actually follow the law and get mask mandates removed from UW-Madison? Look, it, it, it's a great question. My view on all of COVID is there should be no mandates. There should be no mask mandates. There should be no vaccine mandates. There should be no vaccine passports. That it ought to be up to individual choice. If, if people want to wear a mask, we've got some people here wearing masks, great, that's your choice. That's your right to do it. You can make your own choice about your own health care. If people choose to get vaccinated, that's what Heidi and I have done. That's what our parents have done. That's your choice too. But it shouldn't be the government forcing you to do that. And, and, I, and I would say, uh, look, you've got a lot of folks in politics that are scared about this issue. It, it, it is a weird thing. So the way the United States Congress is right now, on the House side, Nancy Pelosi rules like a tyrant. So she forces everyone to wear a mask. And she has said that she will have the Capitol Police arrest any staffer who doesn't wear a mask and she's fining House members who don't wear a mask. And I think it's a complete abuse of power. We did a verdict um, on that topic in particular. The Senate, it's interesting. The, the, the Senate, you've got a little bit more kind of 100 islands where, where no one tries to exercise brute force on other senators. And right now, it's the strangest thing. It's like gang colors. In the Senate, Every Democratic senator and every Democratic staffer wears a mask walking down the hall. And none of the Republican senators and none of the Republican staffers wear a mask. And it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing. You walk to the Capitol and you can literally see some intern who you, you've never met before. And you'd be like, Republican, Democrat, Democrat, Republican. <laughs> it's bizarre. I mean, it's like the Crips of the Bloods or something. <laughs> And, and even, the, even the same colors, actually, uh, red and blue. There it is. And the thing to understand about it is the left knows what they're saying is a crock. The hypocrisy. So Nancy Pelosi, when she has this fundraiser in Northern California with all these rich Democrats, none of them have masks on. And of course, the waiters and waitresses, the serving staff, are masked, which, which from a Democratic perspective, yes, you little people, like Imelda Marcos, 
uh, you know, let the little people do it. Uh, you know, um, Barack Obama, his 60th yeah. birthday party in Martha's Vineyard. Again, a bunch of rich Democrats dancing. None of them are wearing masks. Mayor of San Francisco the, while dancing. Same, same issue. Uh, she was feeling the spirit, she said. It, 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 it is. And I got to tell you, in the Senate, so you see these Senate Democrats when they're behind closed doors, they don't wear masks. When they're having conversations and then suddenly a camera's there, they're like, oh crap, got to put my mask on. Because, you know, the virus reacts to cameras. <laughs> like, like, it has become this weird virtue signal. The, the left is fond of projection. And, all right, this is a dangerous thing because I'm going to make a pop culture reference to a show I haven't watched. I watch a oh. lot of shows, but I haven't watched Handmaid's Tale. So all I know mm. is they wear those freakish outfits, mm -hmm. and, and they, they all say Mike Pence wants to turn America into that. that it's a that, documentary, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, I watched it. But... So I haven't watched it, so my commentary I, is, I'm sure, not informed on that show. But the left is literally like, wear your burqa as a sign of the, the, that, that you are virtuous. In D.C., I'll be walking along the road and you'll see this liberal, I've seen this several times, like a liberal woman jogging, will see me jogging, reach out and put on her mask and glare at me. <laughs> I, I was doing, I was speaking at an outdoor protest in D.C. It was on the border, in the open borders. And, and it was outdoors, and I was at a microphone. There were a bunch of people gathered there, and we were talking about the border crisis, and there was this angry lefty standing on the street screaming at me. And, and he was kind of like the young lady who was here. He was cursing at me and, and didn't know any of the substance, but was just, F you. Well, thank you for sharing, sir. Um, <laughs> and at one point, he screamed, why aren't you wearing a mask? And I'm like, you're not wearing a mask. <laughs> and it was the most bizarre. We ought to be able to find some level of common sense. If someone wants to wear a mask, knock yourself out. But I think we ought to have leaders with the courage to say, we're not going to force you to make that decision against your wishes. And clearly, you've got a lot of courage. You are refusing yes. to muzzle yourself. Your fellow students are, are refusing to muzzle themselves. All of us here, I guess, are, at least in the metaphorical sense, refusing to muzzle ourselves and, and have these discussions. We really appreciate everyone here. I especially appreciate our friend Liz Wheeler. If you, if you like Liz, you, which, who doesn't? Who doesn't love Liz? Go check out Thank you. the Liz Wheeler Show. Be sure to check it out. Also, very exciting, Liz is partnering with YAF for her own campus speaking event. So if you want to bring Liz to your school, go to yaf.org slash Liz. Bring Liz to your school. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Thank we'll you, you so later. much. We'll see you, we'll see you in you. Texas tomorrow at Texas A&M. So Michael, what are the next stops? Where, where are we headed next on this tour? So coming up next tomorrow, we're gonna be at Texas A&M. That's going to be very exciting. Gig'em. I can't wait. Very exciting. Uh, we're also going to be back in D.C. We're going to Catholic University. That's going to be next week. And then we've got three more stops yet to be decided. So if you want to bring us to your school, head on over to yaf.org slash verdict. So you can bring Verdict Live to your school. But it's late, Senator. It's late. These wonderful people have taken a stand against the forces of tyranny and suppression and censorship. A stand for America, a stand for free speech. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to the students and the community here of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And 
I've got only one message for the administrators who tried to shut us up. Let's go, Brandon. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.